Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10, but let, let me first say uh, just a couple things. One, uh, THX is coming up on Thanksgiving morning. There's two times that you can register to help deliver meals. We need a lot of people to help with this. Don't just say, oh, someone else will do it. I mean, we have uh, upwards of, uh, or uh, I think we might be at 400 something names. I'm looking at one of my staff folks here. Brandon, do we have 400? Okay, we're between three and 400 now. Uh, uh, people that we need to d- deliver to. Uh, so we've raised right now about $33,000. Uh, we just got a 5,000, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll clap, cameraman's clapping with me. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we've raised about $33,000 for this. We've got a $5,000 gift from a local company who uh, wanted to put us over the top. We were trying to raise $30,000. We ended up overspending on on what we thought we were gonna have to spend. We had so many families that have more than like five or six people, and so we have double meals for those. So they cost us double. All that to say, uh, we were at 31,000 and some change, I think, when uh, before that, and then uh, you know that $5,000 gift came in, so that put us over the top, gave us a thousand extra dollars. I know the math probably doesn't work out. I wasn't a math major uh, or, or very strong in math. I, it was my understanding that there would be no math in the pastorate, and so anyway, uh, so we had about a thousand extra dollars there, and so we called up uh, a local restaurant, Venti's, and said, "Hey." Uh, could you provide uh, 10 meals at your price of $100? And they said yes. And so Venti's is now providing uh, 10 meals uh, for uh, local families as well. We thank them for working with us on this. We know that it was last minute. Our hope is, is that every extra dollar that comes in will be able to add families. So if you can give towards THX, my understanding is that we have about 30 people on a wait list uh, right now for THX. So uh, whatever, whatever that's going to be, we're, we have to go to local restaurants for this uh, because we've maxed out our potential with uh, Fresh and Local, which is a, a local um, food provider. And so we've maxed out our potential with them. And so uh, whatever else we do, we have to go through restaurants. So this is a great opportunity for you to support local restaurants. Um, I don't want to say any names right now, but I am told that there are other restaurants that would be able to provide meals. So whatever you give, we will find a way to feed people with that through local restaurants. So give to THX. You can go to THXSalem.com, and that would be awesome. And then sign up at THXSalem.com to deliver meals on Thanksgiving morning. We're not going to have a huge rally because that's kind of frowned upon these days, <clears throat> but we're going to have you in your cars. Uh, we'll have some hot cocoa and some, uh, uh, maybe some pastries and stuff like that. We might even have some Christmas trees. I've heard that it's possible, but this has not been confirmed. Uh, it's possible that Santa may be there as well. Uh, which we don't believe in at all, but he might be here. And so that, that would be fantastic. And so it'll be a fun time. So come and be a part of it. That's THX. And uh, yeah, let's get into the, the passage here. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of feeling, <clears throat> feeling, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> I'm feeling well. I don't have COVID. I'm fine. Uh, I'm feeling, <laughs> I am feeling uh, like, um, let, let me just, let me be honest with you. When I teach on a passage that everybody knows, it's hard for me to teach on it. Because I'm like, you kind of already know the passage. And this passage is about the Good Samaritan. Most people have heard about the Good Samaritan. We have Good Samaritan laws. Uh, I've heard that there's a law in Alaska that says if someone comes to your house, like when it's sub-zero outside and they need shelter, you are obligated by law to give them shelter. There's other Good Samaritan laws which protect people who help other people. So if you come along somebody and they're having a heart attack, but you think they're choking and you give them the Heimlich maneuver and they die as a result of that, that's not funny at all. I'm sorry. But if if that were to happen and uh, you'd be protected by law for at least trying to help them. So our, our culture is aware of what the Good Samaritan is and the idea of this, uh, uh, this person who goes out of their way to help somebody who needs help. And, and sometimes you'll hear people say, you know, I just wanted to be a good Samaritan. I think in large part, we miss the understand, or we miss the point of what Jesus 
had to say here, we missed the point, we missed the problem that this lawyer had, and as a result, we miss what God is trying to communicate to us. We miss what God is trying to say to us. And I think that today might be a great opportunity to think about this. So if you're kind of getting ready to, to turn this off or whatever, I want you to stick with me if you would to the end because what you risk is missing out on what I believe uh, Jesus wants to tell you this morning about what it looks like to be somebody who serves other people. I believe that you, you could miss this and you could miss it big. You could have a major misunderstanding as a result. If you look at the passage with me, uh, what it actually has to say here, if I can get to my notes here, is this, that there's a lawyer. And this is not like a lawyer like we know today. This is a, uh, he's like a Bible lawyer. He knows the law of God. He knows the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, and he knows them well. He, he knows the hundreds of laws that are in there that God has given his people, and primarily the Ten Commandments as well. But to uh, summarize what the law has to say is kind of a difficult thing, but that's, in fact, what he does. But he walks up to Jesus, and it says that he stood up to put him to the test. So they must have been sitting down because they were sitting there in a teaching environment. And that's the way that they would have been. Jesus himself would have been sitting down. He stands up and he wants to put Jesus to the test. What that actually means is that he wants to trap Jesus. He wants to trap Jesus and he, he wants him to answer incorrectly so that they can accuse him of heresy. So he tries to put him to the test and he says, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? So what's the way to the afterlife is what he's asking. Many of us in some ways can be asking that, although more and more people tend to believe or tend to say that they believe that they don't believe in an afterlife and, and we're just going to be annihilated when we die and we, we're just gone. Other people believe that we're reincarnated and, and so on and so forth. But what this guy is asking, he's saying, what do I got to do to get to the afterlife? What do I got to do? To enter into eternal life, and a Jewish or a Hebrew understanding of that would have been, what do I got to do to be with God for eternity once I pass from this life? What, what's, what is your way of doing that? How do I get to heaven? So he knows the answer to this, and Jesus knows that he knows that he has a pretty good understanding of this. And so he says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, instead of entering into the trap, Jesus turns it around on him and ends up trapping him. Now, Jesus, uh, when he traps somebody, it's always out of love. He's always loving the person that he's allowing to experience the trap themselves. So Jesus turns it around on him and he says, what, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And here's another point that we, should, uh, that we should be aware of, and that is that this guy, as a very religious person, would have had what are called phylacteries, a big word. And it basically means this, is that they have come to understand Deuteronomy 6.4, the Shema, uh, so well that they, that they have uh, uh, physically tied uh, scripture uh, around their head. They had these little boxes. They said they were leather boxes that had little pieces of paper that were stuffed in there that had uh, Deuteronomy 6.4 in there and, and other things. And they would have had them around their wrist and so forth, in, in essence, obeying that passage. And so Jesus is essentially saying to him, he's saying, you know what it is. It's on your head. It's around your wrist. Why don't you tell me? Uh, Mr. Smarty, I don't think Jesus would have said that, but Jesus says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Jesus turns the trap around on him. And the guy answers and says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says back to him, you have answered correctly. Go ahead and do that and you'll live. The man is thinking that Jesus is going to say, no, that's not the way. He's trying to trap Jesus. He's trying to get Jesus to say something that is against uh, the law of God out of the Pentateuch. And Jesus says, you got it right. That's exactly right. 
What you really need to do is you need to love the Lord your God 100% with your heart, 100% with your soul, 100% with your strength, 100% with your mind, and you need to love your neighbor 100%. Everybody loves them themselves. We talk about this in culture a lot, like, you know, above all, love yourself, or be true to yourself, and those kinds of things. But uh, for the most part, and I would say almost 100%, people always love themselves way more than they love anybody else. We're always concerned about ourselves. And so Jesus says, I, he, he, you are exactly right. You got to love people 100%. Like you love yourself, and you'll live. You're in. You're there. So this guy thinks to himself, and he goes, uh-oh. <laughs> okay, well, if that's, if that's what I got to do, then well, uh, who is my neighbor? Look at what he says next. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who's the guy that I'm supposed to love this much. Like, all right, if I'm going to be held to account for loving people 100% the way that I'm supposed to love God, then who do I need to love like that so that I can be sure to get into uh, eternal dwellings? What do, what do I have to do? So then Jesus says, let me tell you a story. So he tells him this story. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, every commentator I read said that this road, the road itself is treacherous. The road itself is treacherous. It is a, it is a, a dangerous place to be. It's a very dangerous place to be alone. It's not a good place to be at night. You shouldn't be there alone. It's, uh, it's difficult just all by itself. And so Jesus says, this guy is in a part of town that he should not be by himself. And the assumption is this, that this guy is a Jew. So here is a Jew. He's going from Jerusalem to Jericho, a very stupid move. He's going by himself, again, very dumb. And lo and behold, what happens is this, is that he fell among robbers. So there's some bandits, or whatever you want to call them, uh, who are on the road. And this is a, a very common occurrence. Uh, there's historical evidence that, that there were people who were taken advantage of on this very same road. And so he, of course, falls among people who steal from him. They strip him, they beat him, and then they leave, and they leave him half dead. So this guy, the Jew, who he's assumed to be a Jew, uh, he is laying on the side of the road, he's half dead, and here he is, and he has no way of helping himself. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, it begins to sound like a racist joke to me, because it says <laughs> a, pre a Jew, a priest, a Levite, and then a, a Samaritan, and it, it kind of goes off from there. So it kind of sounds that way a little bit, but that's not what's happening here. Jesus says, let's just say that a, a holy man begins to walk by. And who is this holy man? He is a guy that everybody would expect would do the right thing in that situation, He's the guy of all people that should know what to do. And what do we know from culture today? And that is that people who are in positions of authority oftentimes do not follow their own rules. I don't know. Have you heard about any of those recently? I don't know. I've heard about a, a couple. I've heard about government officials. I've also heard about pastors, evangelical leaders, uh, priests. So here's a, a priest who doesn't do what he's supposed to do, which is to love people. So he doesn't love people. The next person that he says, so likewise a Levite, when he came to the, the place and saw him pass by on the other side. So now you have two guys who are in ministry. These are religious people. They have positions of authority. And what it says is that uh, ultimately both of these guys, if they were to touch a dead body, they would have been considered unclean for a, a period of time. Maybe it's 14 days, something like that, until, until the COVID passes or something uh, along those lines. We have no idea. But they were not supposed to touch this person. and Otherwise, they would be unclean. For them, 
they desired so badly to not be unclean that it was worth allowing this guy to potentially die. Their love for this man was pretty low. And the expectation here with this story is that these, uh, so you're talking about a priest, you're talking about a Levite, you're kind of going down the line from the greatest authority to the least authority, and the expectation is that Jesus was going to say, then just a regular Jew was walking down the street. A Jewish man was walking down the street. And the moral of the story would be, see, this lowly Jew takes care of this man and, uh, and so therefore, isn't that great that somebody who isn't in a, in a position of authority takes care of this man um, when these people in high places didn't? That's the expectation, but that's not what Jesus says. Jesus goes to the furthest extreme and he says, a Samaritan, but a Samaritan as he journeyed, a Samaritan as he journeyed came to where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. So why is this important? It's important because the Samaritans are the people that the Jews love to hate. If there's anybody that the Samaritans love or that the Jews love to hate, it is the Samaritans and vice versa. The Samaritans love to hate the Jews. The Jews see the Samaritans as half-breeds, as people that that have polluted uh, the religion. They're people that still kind of uh, uh, submit to God and, and uh, the Pentateuch and so forth, but they've built their own temple. However, they're polluted because they were of mixed race. So there's racial tension there. There's racial tension. There's religious tension. There's uh, where, they're, where they're at and what they're doing and all, all of this. They hate each other. And Jesus tells a story about this man, and it is incredibly controversial. It is incredibly, incredibly, incredibly controversial because these people were sworn enemies. And so Jesus goes on and he says that he had compassion on him. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii And gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three, Jesus says, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And this is where the trap or the plot thickens, where Jesus is just so good at what he does because he is so wise. And he makes this Jewish lawyer give the answer that he doesn't want to give. In fact, he can't even bring himself to say the man's name. He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. So here we have a a man who wants to know, how do I get to eternal life? And Jesus says, that there has got to be a level of love for this person that is out of this world. Look, look back over what he, what he has to say here. If you're gonna ask the question like, who is my neighbor? Jesus responds by saying, it's where the Samaritan was. It's, it's where he was. It's who he saw. It is the person he had compassion with, but it wasn't just compassion, it was a compassion that was led to action. It was a compassion that welled up into him so much so that he took action, and he took action that was self-effacing. He took action that cost him something. He said he bound up his wounds. He poured uh, oil and wine on him. He's using his resources there. He sets him on his own animal. So he sets him on his own donkey or his horse or whatever it was, and he has to walk while he's carrying this man. He takes care of him. He takes him to the inn. He gets him out of trouble. He takes more money out of his pocket. He gives it to the innkeeper. He says, even if, he, if it costs more, I'll take care of it. So he has the means to do it. He sees the guy. He has compassion on him. And at the end of the day, what are we left with? 
a deep sense of, of guilt, I think. I think we're left with a deep sense of guilt. I'll tell you why, and it's because I read this story and I go, man, do I love people at that level? Do I love people where I'm at, the people that I see? Do I have a compassion that leads to action? Do I have this, do I have what it takes to, to do that? Have I done that? I was watching uh, David Letterman's show on Netflix just recently, and he was interviewing George Clooney. And uh, one of the things that he said uh, to George Clooney, because George Clooney has a lot of um, efforts, uh, humanitarian efforts that he does between him and his wife, and uh, Dave Letterman says, I think the reason why I help people is selfish, because I just want to feel good. I just want to feel good. And George Clooney as well said at some point during the, the interview, said, I think the reason why people do this is because they want to assuage some kind of guilt. He was talking a little bit about how he has been so fortunate. He's been so lucky to have come into this great wealth and this acting career and all of this stuff. And in a sense, he's saying, I don't deserve this. I, I, I don't deserve this. And the only way if I can put words in his mouth, and I think that this is what he's saying, and I think that this is what uh, David Letterman was saying as well, is that the only way to feel better about myself is to go help people. I want to feel better about the things that I have. I want to feel better about the stuff that I have and go help people. There's this guilt that's palpable in both of these men's lives. In fact, George Clooney went so far as to say is that when he was a child, Everybody knew everybody in his town. It's a small town that he grew up in. And there was a priest, and he knew the priest, and the priest knew his voice. And so when he would go to confession growing up as a Catholic, uh, he did not want to tell the priest all of his sins when he went to confession because he knows his voice, and he's like, man, you get into fifth grade, and there's some things you want to hold back a little bit. And so he held some things back, but he had such guilt over this that he had heard a story about a, a, an old saint that would put a pebble in her shoe and walk around as penance uh, through the pain that you, she would purify herself through uh, injuring herself by having this pebble in her shoe. He said he would fill his shoes with gravel, get on the top bunk bed in his room and jump off the top to try to purge his guilt, to try to purge his guilt. That same guy, George Clooney, is still jumping off the top of bunk beds because he's trying to purge his guilt. And who knows what it's rooted in, how fortunate he is. Perhaps all of the people that he has helped uh, or all of the people that he has hurt, I should say. And he's assuaging. He's, he's trying to pay penance for some type of guilt for some type of sin in his life. See, here's how our world understands the story of the Good Samaritan. They read that last line, go and do likewise, as though you can do it. You can do it. But there's a key word in this whole passage that really kind of enlightens us to something. And that is this idea of compassion. When he came to the place and saw him, in verse 33, he had compassion. That word compassion there is a word that's used of Jesus. When he came to the place and he saw the people, he had compassion on them. And it's more than just like, you know, having your heartstrings tugged on a little bit. It's more than just like, man, they're in a tough situation. It is a deep and personal sense of, uh, uh, of deep love for this person. It's a care for them that doesn't just come out of sentimentality, but it's a deep love that comes out of the bowels of a person. 
When commentators talk about that word in relation to Jesus, it, it's, they talk about the sense of like, this is not just Jesus just kind of being like, oh, I feel sorry for them. Oh, that's too bad that they don't have enough money. Oh, that's too bad that this person is crippled and that they can't provide for themselves. Oh, that's too bad that this person um, has leprosy or whatever. It is a deep level of compassion that this man in this story has for this person. And what it means is this. It means that it's, it's a love that is not driven by, is not guided by, is not propelled by guilt, shame, pain that you've caused other people, the wealth that you have that nobody else has or the people or most people that you know don't have. It's not driven by a sense of shame. It's not driven by a sense of, you know, I just want to feel good about myself. It's not driven by any of those things. It's dri- it comes from the very bowels of this person, the Good Samaritan. So what is this lawyer left with? What's, what's he really left with? There's another clue in here that shows us that there's a problem. And that is in verse 29, but he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, desiring to justify himself. What does that mean and why, does, why is that said there? It's said there because Jesus says, you're exactly right. You should love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all your, with all your, uh, with all your strength, your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. It, it, it means that this guy, he takes this statement of loving the Lord your God with everything that you are. He takes the Ten Commandments, and this was often done. It was to take the first four commandments, which are about love for God, and summarizing those and saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and, and so forth. And then the love your neighbor as yourself has to deal with the last six of the Ten Commandments. Don't steal, don't cover, don't all of those things. Don't commit adultery, don't kill. So this guy takes this and he says, I, I, uh, I believe that I can or I have fulfilled that law. I believe that I've done it. And do you know where I have been this week? As I'm studying this passage, and as I said, it's hard for me to teach you on a passage that everybody knows and to tell you something that you don't know about it. So what I've been thinking as I'm reading this passage is that like, man, do I love God in that way? And so I've been looking for all of the ways that I love God and like, have I been serving? But here's the thing that I'm doing in my mind. And this is why Jesus is an absolute genius as a teacher and as the God of the universe, but as a teacher is because it leads me to this place of, well, who is my neighbor? Well, I mean, I, I, I you know, I try to help people out. I, I've, you know, I've done this and I've done that and I've done, and I've, and I've done all of these things. Well, and I can't really help people because I don't have that much money. I don't have as much money as George Clooney. I can't go to Darfur and, and, uh, and help people there. But he's seeking to justify himself. But Matt seeking to justify himself. But whatever your name is, seeking to justify himself. A David Letterman seeking to justify himself. A George Clooney seeking to justify himself. You know what our problem is? We read the story of the Good Samaritan and we say, that's right. That's what it means to be a good person. That's what it means. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. All you need is love. Think about all the songs that are about love and, and they say it over and over and over and over again. But there's not a one of us that naturally comes by the ability to have a deep, guttural love from our bowels 
that comes out of just sheer love. And the reason is, is because we're trying to justify ourselves. We're trying to make ourselves feel good. And at the root of it, David Letterman is right. It's probably the only time I'll ever say that in a sermon. At the root of it, he's right. It's selfish from the word go. And guess what? It's not real love. That's not real love. I, I just battled with like what to teach on today because I'm ticked. I'm, I'm upset. Um, it's probably best if I don't share all that with you as far as like how I feel about uh, the shutdown and all of that stuff. And so I'm battling with, all right, do I stay in this passage in Luke this week or do I talk about this or do I emote on stage or something like that just about how frustrated I am and, and all of that stuff. And I even wrote another sermon. And I think that where I've come down to is this, is that this is what God has for me today. That there, I mean, if, if I'm honest with you, there's some people that I love to hate. There's some people that I love to hate. I mean, think about what, what Jesus is saying here. He, he's saying that they were sworn enemies, the Samaritan and the Jew. They're sworn enemies. They're people who hate each other. It's like, a Seahawk was walking down uh, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho and he saw a 49er laying on the side of the road. Or a Seahawk fan saw a 49er fan. Something like that. It'd be like a Republican or a, uh, a Democrat was walking down the road and saw a Republican laying in the ditch. It would, it would be a lot like, you know, somebody who loves country music is walking down the road and then they see somebody who's a Satan worshiper. You know, it's like, like, like that, that, that kind of, it's, it's these types of things, these types of deals where you have people who are opposed to each other in large part. And Jesus is saying, the love that I want for you is a love that loves your sworn enemy. And the person who just as soon turn around and kill you. It might even be the person who is stealing your business. It might be the, the person who's making orders in the governor's office. It might be the people who refuse to look at science. It might be those, and what Jesus is saying is, is that like, who is your neighbor? It's, it's the person that you love to hate. It's not just them, but it is also them. Like, you don't really know love until you've loved that person. You don't really know love until you've loved that person. And so Jesus is communicating to us this morning, I think, through this passage, that what we need is a love that goes well beyond what our love is. The lawyer was right to say that these two things are connected. When you love God at this level, you're able to love people. See, love for God produces a compassion that turns to action. Love for God produces such an intense compassion for people that it leads to action for them. Now I'm left with some more shame and guilt. And you could feel it as well. The truth is, is that I probably know of people in my life that I drive by or that I see or that I know have issues and I say, I just, I don't have the time. 
And when those two things are connected, love for God and love for people, like I'll love people in accordance with how much I love God, one of the things that I start to say to myself is I start to say, man, do I even love God? Do I even, do I even know him? Do I even have relationship with him? Do I even love this God? Do I care about him at all? And the truth is, I look at it and I just go, oh my gosh, man, like I could love people so much more. And what does that say about my relationship with God? So me and my wife, we went on a walk last night and I, I, I'm, I, I'm always tormented when I'm, when I'm <laughs> getting ready to, to write a sermon. I mean, as much, I, I studied all week and I'm still like Saturday night just going, God, what do you want to say through me? It's, 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 it's terrible and beautiful at the same time. And so I'm walking with my wife and I'm saying, I just don't feel like I love God at this level. I just don't feel like I, uh, I mean, have I loved people in this way? And you know what? When we stop justifying ourselves and saying, yeah, I've loved, I've done this, I've done that. And we start to receive what Jesus has to say, man, I don't love the people that I love to hate. Dude, I mean, I, there's a lot of people that I have. I don't say it out loud. I mean, maybe you do or whatever. I typically don't. Um, maybe not in front of my kids at least, but uh, <laughs> I, I don't love the people that I love to hate. And I think we get down to the place where Jesus wants us to get. And that is, I don't have it in me. I don't love God on that level. I don't love people on this level. And I think this is what Jesus wants us to hear. He says, I know. I know. I just wanted to show you. I wanted to show you that you in and of yourself do not have what it takes to be the most loving person possible. In and of yourself, it'll always be motivated by guilt or shame or pride or just because you wanna feel good. It'll always be motivated by that. And Jesus is saying to us this morning, that is not good for you. And more than that not being good for you, that's not good for our society. Because we will not love the people that we love to hate. And I don't have to tell you that our society is in shambles because people hate each other and they refuse to love one another. And men and women Christian people who have experienced the love of God have always been people who have loved the people who've loved to hate them. That has been the defining influence historically of what Christian people do. They don't just take care of their own, but they take care of the folks on the other side of the aisle, they take care of the people that hate them, hate them and that are trying to kill them and they love them. That what the world needs now, what, what this nation needs, what our, what, what our community needs, what our church needs is a community of people that are so in love with God that it expresses itself in love for people. The problem is you cannot produce it on your own. That's the crux of this sermon. Like if, if, if you're like in this place where you're like, okay, I'm just gonna do that. I'm just gonna love God. I gotta tell you that like, just saying, I gotta love God. I gotta love God. I gotta love God. Is, it's like, it, it just dissipates. It just doesn't go anywhere. Like I I can't produce it in and of myself. And the beauty of what God has for you is that, is that God brings that love to you. 
you do not bring it to yourself. You cannot justify yourself. You cannot bring a guttural level of compassion that loves people with real love. You cannot love your enemies in a way that God would have you love them until you understand his love for you. See, we love people with a love that we get from God. We don't love people with a love that we manufacture for God. It's a one-way street. Love comes from God and it goes through us and it extends to other people. And it creates a community of people that desire and long to serve one another. In the book of 1 John, I think it's so important that I, I want to read it to you because I think it just gives the answer. And I think in this time of frustration, I don't know how engaged you are on social media. I don't know how engaged you are in arguments, disagreements, or just the thoughts in your head. But like, we need to be focusing on something else. I have to change the conversation that I'm having with myself along these lines. First John chapter four, verse seven. It says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever truly loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Keep the voice down inside of you. Say, I, but I love people and I don't love, love God. And, I, and, I, I, and that's justifying yourself. It's rooted in guilt, shame, selfishness, whatever it is. It's not real love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. How, how do I experience the love of God? Gosh, how do I experience the love of God? How do I get to know the love of God? How do I, gosh, man, I, I just, I want to sit there. I was on that walk with my wife and, I, and I'm just like, I'm a pastor and I'm thinking this and I'm just going, gosh, like, I just, I'm not sure that I love God, babe. Like, I'm, like man, I just don't know people. And in this, the love of God is made manifest among us. I don't make my Love known to God per se, first, at least not at first. It is in this God makes his love manifest. He shows it to me. He reveals it to me. He is it for me. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world. God sends Jesus so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the payment for our sins. Well, we could read the whole passage. You could read the whole passage and you could say, man, like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know that I can love people. And that's the problem. You can't. You can't do it. Jesus has done it for you. And the only thing that there is left to do is to experience the love of God, to experience who God is and what he has done. And then transformation comes as we begin to mirror back the love that God has for us. My kids are loving toward me and towards other people because I lavish love on them. They're not perfect in that sense, but I hear all the time, like your kids are so great with my kids, or whatever. Children don't come by that naturally. They are, my kids are loved intensely and they express that love to other people. God, as our father, has expressed his love to you and to me to the greatest degree possible. 
at a magnitude that we could not even understand. And he, as our father, is saying, my child, I love you so intensely that I gave my only son for you. Oh, man. I could preach another sermon on that passage. And I could go on. But I need to wrap up. And I want to take you to one more passage. There'll be one last small sermon here. Ephesians 3. 3.14. This has always been one of my favorite passages ever. And I want to invite the band up while I talk about this. We're going to take communion together and stuff like that. I love this. I've loved this passage for as long as I've been in ministry, for as long as I've been around, because I, I experienced something through this. The Apostle Paul says to the church, he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. He's the father of all things. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. This is part of the NIV translation, but I love it that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. It is such an amazing thing, like that you would know this love that comes through Christ from God the Father. And it's, it's a love that is so amazing, that is so intense that is so passionate for you, it is so amazing that it goes beyond even understanding it. I was talking with Pastor Matt Baldwin before we started. He said, I love the idea in that little section there that basically tells me I cannot intellectually figure it out. I cannot intellectually make it happen. You're not gonna study it and figure it out. What you have to do is experience the love of God. And some of you are asking, how do I experience the love of God on that level? Well, it has to begin with uh, understanding that you cannot justify yourself. You guys can play something, right? I just keep waiting for you to start because I'm about to wrap up here. And we can't wrap up a sermon without soft music playing behind us. I know Jesus always had uh, somebody on a harp right next to him. I totally screwed up this ending now, I know. Uh, on the last night that Jesus was with his disciples, he wanted his disciples to know so well the love that he had for them and also his love for us. That he, that he said, I'm not just giving you a teaching. I'm not just giving you a teaching. I'm giving you my very self. The Samaritan is, is a, a, a faint resemblance of Jesus. Because he gave of himself. He put himself at risk financially. He put himself at risk by even stopping and, and, and maybe being assaulted himself. But Jesus went far beyond just putting himself at risk. He put himself in harm's way and experienced all the bad that there is to experience, all the evil that there is to experience. Jesus experienced all of the punishment that you deserve that I deserve. And what he says to his disciples is he says, he says, my body is broken for you. 
And he says, this is my body. It's being broken for you. And so for you, those of you who are sitting there and you're, and you're saying, you know, it's, it's true, Pastor Matt, that I never feel fulfilled when I serve people. It kind of makes me feel good for a moment. But then I realize I'm just selfish. I'm just trying to assuage the guilt of the fact that I have so much money. I'm just trying to assuage the guilt of all of the bad things that I've done towards people. I'm just trying to do more good things than bad things. And ultimately, it's flat. It's not real love. It's just for me. Jesus says the way around that is through faith in him. God sent his only son to the cross to be the savior of the world. And if you trust in him, if you trust that he is the only way, that you accept his love for you on the cross, acknowledging your own guilt and shame, he will save you right where you're at, right here and right now. It's over with, it's done, it is finished. You are his and his love will be shed abroad in your heart. Do you want that? You can pray to God right now. The most silly and childish and weird and strange prayer. There are not specific words to say. Just pray to God and say, God, I want that. God, I need that. I'm a sinner in in need of grace. I need your mercy on my life. I see that you did that for me on the cross. Give your life to Jesus Christ today so that you can understand that he already gave you his. And for those of us that are believers here this morning, can we take a moment and confess our sins to God and thank him for the cross? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd bring to mind my sin, my shame, my guilt. God, I'm so glad you went to the cross because I could not repay you for my sin, for that sin. Jesus says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the body. Jesus said, this is my blood that was poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the blood. Thank you, Jesus continue to worship for a few moments. Stick with us.